And there's things called high K dielectrics that you can get more capacitance out of a out of the same thickness of, of material and, and you can but people talk about carbon nanotubes and things like that. Yeah, who knows? Okay, well, I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to episode 79 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitra, I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Aaron Vay in Whitby, Ontario. Hello there. And I'm also joined by Jaime Lopez in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And returning again, Mark Rubin from San Jose, California. Hello. Unless, of course, he's not in San Jose, California. I am in San Jose. <laughs> <laughs> by the way, do you know Alrighty, the way so, to San Jose? Do I know the way to San Jose? Do, is that a song? Do, do, That's do, a song. Do, 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 it is a song. Do, okay. Yeah. Yep. I don't even hear it that way anymore because of that promotion that eBay did in the commercial days way back really? in the late 90s. Like, do you know the way to use eBay? No way. Wow. Yes, I, I'm, I'll, I'll find it on oh, YouTube. Oh, we'll, man. We'll put it in the show. This is a double shocker because turns out Jaime's got a lovely, smooth singing voice. <laughs> wow. That's awesome. Um... Yeah, I have to sing Talking Heads tunes because that's what I sound like. Um, so there you go. Um, Rella. Yeah, so Aaron, you had some doing? FU. Just one little brief brief piece. Uh, last week okay. we talked about Panic's uh, Missive, uh, their end-of-year piece from 2015, which is written at the end of 2015, talking about what they're going to do in 16. One of the things they wanted to do was make more money, and they said that they would be raising their prices, which is a sensible thing to do, and we're all behind that, especially as independent developers. Uh, this week, we saw the launch of Panic's Prompt 2.5, which is their celebrated uh, terminal application for iOS. Uh, it was a free update. <laughs> so um, Prompt has been out for some time, and it hasn't been updated in a long time, actually. I was just using it last week. And thinking to myself that it was looking pretty stale, uh, it did, uh, had, had its uh, iOS uh, 6 look to it, you know, the sort of textured mm-hmm. buttons sort of thing. It did not have the iOS 7 uh, look to it, and um, I thought, huh, that's kind of hmm. funny they haven't updated that. Well, they did this week, and it's uh, it's got a bunch of new features. It's a really nice looking app. Um, but, you know, of course, you know, it's the me- mechanisms of the App Store. It's a free update. But it's just, <sighs> uh, you know, given given what they wrote, a little disappointed that they didn't break from the previous version and go and charge for the new one so Mm -hmm. alas um there's a lot of development hours put into it they are not making anything from it except from new customers of course so that's just uh that's my one follow-up item i wanted to point out great app you should get it anyway but uh they are not following their own advice (laughs) which is sad Hmm. well wasn't there somebody who we were talking to be talking about last week that came out with a new app and they, they rolled it as a new release even though you remember what I'm talking about? Um, well, day one, we talked about day was one, it day last one? week. Yeah, oh, okay. and they they did it as a new release. Yeah, for Mac mm-hmm. and iOS. Uh, we don't have to rehash that, but yes, that no, no, was, okay. uh, that was a, a new release application, um, and so yeah. it gave them the opportunity to charge for it, which they mm-hmm. did, and have presumably made quite a bit of money given their placement on the tra- charts right now. Yeah, so it's pretty pretty boring day. Nothing is really going on that you know I could speak of, and you mock us, Tim. You yeah, there was not, I was on the bus, you know, the streetcar this afternoon, this morning on the way to work, and there's nothing happening on Slack, nobody talking about anything. So, and did you hear anything t- today, Aaron? Um, I don't know. I just can't think of what you're talking about. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, I got a letter from Tim Cook, though. Tim sent you a letter, eh? He, did, he wrote yeah. you a letter himself? Me He's personally, like, yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Oh, and we got, uh, just, just as an aside... <laughs> 
Jaime <laughs> pasted in the link to that song, which I'm sure is not sung nearly as well as Jaime sung it. I'll have to check that out later. <laughs> <laughs> no, Tim, we're talking about the customer letter, right? Yes, of course. We're talking about a message to our customers about encryption. Message in a you... bottle. Okay, stop with the singing. We can't have any of this. This is not... It's code. It's not singing. It's just not. Right. Mm-hmm. Unless you're Jaime, apparently, because he's got a really nice singing voice. Who wants to okay. like talk, talk about this? Tim, you want to cover this? What? How, how do you want to go? Well, I mean, uh, I mean, I was having a discussion with my wife about this at dinner, and, you know, it's kind of ridiculous. I mean... My my first impression of the letter, obviously, which is about backing up, is if, in case you haven't heard about it, is that Tim Cook has been asked by, I believe, a court of law or to work with the FBI, or Apple has, I should say, to come up with a way to unencrypt a content on an iPhone, which basically in his letter he says is essentially creating a backdoor access into customer data, which app, which Apple has said many, many times before they don't want to do. And to me, given the size of the population in the United States, one guy goes on a rampage and kills somebody or a bunch of people. I know that's wrong and all that kind of stuff, but it's kind of like publish, punishing the whole class because one person's been bad. So notwithstanding the fact that it invades everybody's privacy, possibly, right? So that's yeah. what I'm going to start with. Well, okay, that's sort of the idea. Um, so Apple's been asked, <laughs> uh, compelled, if you will, to um, create a version of iOS that they can install on this iPhone 5C that they have from this killer in San Bernardino. Oh, they want to, they want to just do on that one device. That's what they're saying. Yeah, but okay. in order to do that, and, and let's uh, clear it up here, the purpose of this operating system, this, this one-off OS, would be to allow the FBI to have an unlimited number of password attempts for that PIN oh, code on, this, on the right. security screen. Um, as well as to allow them to enter it electronically, like not having to have an agent there typing in every sequence, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, don't know if it's a, a four-pin... They don't, they don't have MacGyver's phone number? No. Right. Yeah, and they can make, like, a robot arm that would, like, just touch it and, like... Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, the paperclip. And there are a number of safeguards that Apple's put in place, like even back in the 5C days, you know, which is like an iPhone 5, right? It's it's an old phone. Um, and it, it's it's predates the secure element that we have with every Touch ID-enabled phone from the 5S on. Um, right. And so it is possible if um, Apple can overwrite the operating system to provide a mechanism for the FBI to um, brute force the uh, passcode on the device and thereby get access to it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so notably, what they're not asking Apple to do is to break the encryption on it, um, which is impossible um, right. You know, at least, you know, it's not computationally feasible, I guess, is the point. Instead, what they're asking them to do is to give them the means to uh, override the uh, security locks, the software-based locks that are in place to prevent them from entering the passcode as many times as they like. Yeah, so, um, so you got this from the letter that Tim Cook wrote today? This letter and um, other, or some other materials background. that have okay, been okay, written. There's okay. plenty of... I, yeah, have read I didn't get that at all today. from the letter, but go ahead. Yeah, uh, yeah. I've read a pl- plenty about it today. What What... Tim Cook's thinking er, here is is that they don't want to provide this software because it sets a very dangerous legal precedent um, mm-hmm. by by saying that you know Apple would have this version of of iOS that could be installed on any phone and once the FBI had access to it, um, it there's really <laughs> it's a it's a short step to anybody having access to it really right yep. Um, yep. and you know to get out, get out in the wild right because every law enforcement agency is going to want it. 
um, they'll start spreading it around, and before you know it, there it is. It's out. Um, mm-hmm. And the, furthermore, um, analysts have you know been looking at this and questioning you know what what actual technical means Apple would be using to allow this thing to exist, and the concern was that this would just affect the iPhone five C, right, like that really old mm-hmm. iPhone five era model, but would it affect or have an influence over later models that have that secure element, right? Which provides like an additional hardware-based layer of security over and above what iOS itself provides. And it turns out that for Apple to accede to the FBI's wishes, uh, they would have to provide uh, the software that would allow them to override even the secure element on current iPhones. Mm -hmm. So if they do this, then... Um, it would basically leave every iOS device vulnerable uh, to this this manner of uh, brute force attack. It's a very serious uh, request and uh, one that you know Apple's very business fundamentally is based on um, not agreeing to. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of what's at stake here is that if Apple allows a backdoor to be created. Uh, to let people, uh, if, like <laughs> putatively, law enforcement agencies uh, brute force any iPhone that they get their hands on in the course of their investigations, um, mm-hmm. then anybody's iPhone is uh, accessible in this way. And you pre- can pretty f- much forget the idea of any kind of personal privacy of data um, right. because it's gone at that point. Because not only would law enforcement have it, but actual bad actors would have it. You know, mm-hmm. other other mm-hmm. national regimes, criminals, script kitties in their parents' basement. You can yeah. name it. You know, uh, it would be game over. Was um, there was a, there was a case in 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 the UK where I think it, uh, Murdoch is the name that comes to mind of of people tapping phones and things like that. Things like that in the past. Well, there's. <laughs> I mean, you we're know. living in an era where we're d- deeply aware of government's interest in monitoring and surveilling people's communications, right? Like, that's what right, Edward, yeah. Edward Snowden, that's what his, his whole shtick is, you know, is, is, is letting us know uh, what, you know, agencies like the NSA, the CIA, uh, the um, intelligence agencies in the UK, in Canada, um, mm-hmm. in the other G8 nations have all been cooperating in uh, surveilling on nationals and foreign nationals and internationals, um, intercepting their communications, their email, their phone calls, their their text messages, you name it, um, mm-hmm. through various programs. And Apple has even been a participant in those programs, you know, uh, either knowingly or unknowingly. But this is sort of a different class of surveillance altogether. Uh, it's not mass surveillance. It's, it's personal, direct, one-on-one surveillance, if you will, mm-hmm. allowing any law enforcement agency to get access to someone's... Uh, most personal information, the stuff on their phone. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's that's what's at stake here, and that's why everybody's freaked out. The what I, from, and, and everything I've said tonight, by the way, um, is is only what I've gleaned from everything I've read. And I've read some very smart things on this. I don't know, and I can't say whether they are accurate. Um, mm-hmm. I'm I'm simply telling it as I've read it. <laughs> so um, with that proviso in mind, yeah, I was going to say that it's not just personal data. In my opinion, like it's also it's also. Um uh, sometimes corporate data, company data that you want to keep track of, or and you want to keep private. I mean, well, I yeah, have some course. customer information that I don't want out in the wild, and because I don't want my ass sued by my clients, you know. Sure, you know, corporate so, data, you, personal data, whatever. Yeah, what do you, what do you? Well, because I mean, if you hang that personal hat on it, people tend to forget that it's also about it's also about corporate data and security, security in general, right? That's a pretty important so, issue. It's it's a 
it, it, it's this is just the latest in a, in a series of things in the U.S. Uh, you know, you mentioned Snowden and all that, uh, and Patriot Act and, and all, all of that. I mean, this for years this has been kind of coming to a head. It seems like there's the politicians lining up on one side and well, the tech world lining up on the other side. It's not really clear what the average person thinks about this at this point, at least not to me. But it's pretty critical. I mean, it's the the you know the the one real saving grace of of everything in some sense is is that we have encryption and and uh and it is unbreakable so it's sort of taken off the the you know there's it's not a moral decision it's it's the, there is this technology it exists and therefore we don't have to really think about it too much or at least that's how we all thought about it yeah uh, this is a point of failure yeah yeah and and, and it, i think tim, tim cook has a really good point once we let that genie out of the bottle it's it's pretty tough to get it back in, uh, you yeah. know. Once, once, you know. Okay, I don't think anyone would argue that we wouldn't like to know. We as a as a community of people would wouldn't like to know what's on that guy's cell phone. I mean, the, the guy in San Bernardino. No one's saying That's that. True. Everyone yeah. says he's a bad guy, and, and we should do everything we possibly can. Uh, however, uh, what's the cost of that? And and yes, today it's a terrorist who everyone agrees is is someone that we want to know as much as we can about but tomorrow mm-hmm. it's someone else and and you know and 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 uh and the next day it's someone else and it's a slippery slope it's it's yeah. pretty it's it's a it's a pretty tough one i would say uh, I, and I'm, I'm pretty strongly in favor of the security side as i think everyone yeah. on this call is but it's not clear to me <clears throat> that everyone feels that way i, I don't know yeah, and it's interesting. My wife is telling me today she's been reading about this in the paper as well, and all day um, that they have access to the guy's computer. And, and you and I, as technologists, know that that's probably a, a fair amount of what was they would find on his phone anyway, except right. for maybe private, like last minute text messages and stuff like that. But right. but at the end of the day, like you know, it's I, I really don't think they're going to find you know the golden egg there if they if they do manage to get in there. And, and at what cost exactly is the yep. point, right? Yep. You know, everybody everybody. It will eventually suffer to the point where we'll just go back to using you know regular phones that hang on the wall, and we'll just you know use telephone lines because well, there won't be any point in having privacy. And yeah, it's, it's interesting that you say that because uh, there's sort of very ironic, uh, completely unrelated story today that came out uh, here in California. There was a hospital down in in L.A. Uh, that right, got yeah, hacked. Yeah. Did you hear about this? Yeah, it got hacked. Yes, I did. And they're being held hostage. And they're being held hostage, right? Because somebody discovered their password or whatever. Someone broke in somehow to their <laughs> to their security and are yeah. asking for lots of money to not expose it all to everyone. And and that kind of emphasizes the point of how important this all is. You know, if the more yeah, means yeah. there are for people to do that out there, the more likely that it's going to happen. And it's almost you know. It's almost uh, inevitable that it's going to happen once there's once there's any kind of backdoor available. But I mean, I've heard. I mean, there was a a book I read a couple of years ago, uh, I think by Neil Stevenson called Reamd, which had a sort of theory that you know this this hacker group was locking people's um, computers and and holding them hostage to get some sort of key to you know get some virtual coin back to pay for it and, and but i i think that's based in in reality that there yeah. are viruses out there that could do that kind of stuff right yep that could lock your or lock out especially on the windows side to lock out the whole computer and then you're held hostage to get it back i mean that's these are just very small things you know about that that this kind of you know 
breaking down these barriers just open up the, the floodgates for for nefarious people, right. right? You know, just trying to find out what one guy, what the motivation for one guy was, or one guy and his wife. You know, it, it's it's unfortunate, but you know, he's not. He's like one small player in a big field of of evildoers that are out there, right? And we have to we have to protect. We, at the end of the day, we as IT professionals have to protect our clients from from themselves sometimes, right? You know. So I'm definitely a very strong believer in that. Uh, the Fourth Amendment to the U.S. Constitution is super important. <laughs> For those who don't know that, Canadian and American alike, it generally deals with the right of the people to be uh, secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable unreasonable right, searches right. and seizure, and and so on and so forth. Um, that doesn't necessarily apply in this case because this is something that is legitimately part of a criminal investigation. I think sure. part of the worry is you do have this tool that if it is created, um, as we mentioned, the genie in the bottle, coming out of the bottle thing it makes it super easy to violate that that provision right that amendment um because the temptation is so strong there to not have to go in front of a judge right and mm-hmm. and to sort of mm-hmm. backpedal if, you know if you get caught by saying like well i'll defend myself because look i i stopped an attack of some sort right like sure. you know dead people make really good news right <laughs> like it's it's an unfortunate thing and it's really hard to argue against those emotional arguments in any sort of logical way because it's you know it's apples and oranges you really can't compare the two yeah so yeah. i think for uh, coming down from the, the sort of the meta thing is like what does this mean for us as it professionals and developers i'm not 100 percent sure it's it's really scary precedents that could be set here um i mean this has global impact right even though this is an american case in american law and an american mm-hmm. company with you know global arms Everybody's impacted by this. And so I'm thinking, like, well, so right now, what would the thing to do be? Like, well, you could make it so that you physically can't do this sort of thing that's being asked for, right? And and whatever software Mm -hmm. systems and hardware systems you're designing, like, if you can show, look, we don't even have a way to get around this, that might be one way in which you would not be forced to participate. Because how how could you comply with something that you cannot do? Um, Mm -hmm. Question is whether there's any sort of like an ethical requirement here around do you not collect extra bits of information do you not do that extra piece that will do something great and functional for example like in in this case it's an actual physical device and they're looking for content that's on that device itself but we're really not that far away from not even really having anything on the device itself and things are much more like a like a chromebook where it's effectively a dead terminal until it connects to the internet here mm-hmm. so we kind of need to start thinking about these sorts of things and, and i don't know that i have a real good answer technically nor legally it seems one thing that seems clear from all this is that the fbi isn't actually um doesn't actually require the software that they're asking of apple in order to get through to this iphone 5c because anybody can jailbreak an iphone 5c <laughs> you know um mm-hmm. and i i'm pretty sure that with a jailbreak you can override some of this nonsense that um that they're looking to get taken care of uh the consensus that i'm seeing out there is that the fbi is using this opportunity and the emotional charge of the san bernardino attack to uh to push through this this very dangerous precedent right um Mm -hmm. and from what i've seen in in the early days uh, minutes of this hours (laughs) um is the politicians lining up uh behind uh this this request and saying you know like Apple is standing in the way of 
of, of terrorists, or, of us investigating terrorists. They're, they're on the side of terrorists, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the kind of emotionally charged language that's being employed right now. <laughs> it's, it's clear that what Apple's doing is correct, you know? Like, we, we all agree yeah. here that's correct. But it's going to be very politically unpopular, and it's going to cost them customers. Customers who are yeah. uninformed about the true nature of this issue, but who nonetheless will, will equate this with Apple being on the side of terrorists. Yeah, that's and a that's pretty the, bad you know, year to be, to be positioned that way, for sure, yeah. yeah. And there are politicians that are angling that, that very way. Yeah, you got to wonder if, if uh, there's some ulterior motives here, and, and I don't know if this is true or not, but... But there's the fact that Apple has an extremely large amount of overseas cash uh, that, yeah. that they're not paying tax on right now. And, of course, the, the government would, would love to get their hands on that. you got to wonder if it's a little bit of a tit for tat going on there. I've got a quick question about the jailbreak thing. Is that actually possible to jailbreak without having unlocked the device itself? I, I don't think it is. Yes, I don't it think is. it is. No, no. Well, I mean, if that from, was possible, then... Hang, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Um, when when an, I, an iOS device is locked with a passcode, the entire device is encrypted. All the software, everything on the device is encrypted with that passcode when the device is off. In order to get the device back up and running again, you have to enter the passcode. Otherwise, you can't. And that's what that's how you know the remote erase works. That's how all the the, the management stuff works with MDM and stuff like that. Um, that's how we're able to manage this stuff. And Apple doesn't have that key. You have that key. And that's that's the point, is the whole phone is bricked until you enter that passcode. But it wasn't always like that. Do we, do we know when that went into effect? It was when... I think it was around uh, iOS 8 or iOS 7. I've, I've yeah. actually seen phones that, that are, are now bricked because somebody entered an Apple ID and then forgot the, you know, the, the, the code or whatever to unlock it, and the entire device is, is completely useless. And, and Apple's, Apple's website says, find the guy, tell him to log into iCloud and, and remove, remove that device from his list of devices. Like, once... Once some that key's been put into the device, it's kind of it's toast. So, but I do I do know what you mean about jailbreaking. I've jailbroken plenty of phones in my time, but but I do know that for a fact that that well, I mean, the fact that Apple has told me that many times that once once that passcode goes in, the entire it's like File Vault, right? Like File Vault on your Mac. If you use File Vault on your Mac, forget your master password, forget your user password, you've just bricked your your device. I was just mostly wondering about it from a technical side because I was thinking, well, that's an enormous security hole. That would be fairly <laughs> trivial to do whatever you want, right? Like if you can right. get if you can get a jailbreak on there, every one of these like, hey, iPhone has been compromised or things. You look in the fine print, it's like, oh yeah, if you have a jailbroken phone or mm-hmm. you've installed enterprise visioning profiles, like you've gone well off the rails and you're in unsecure land. And I bet if that were true. Apple would actually be advertising that fact because it's you know it's well known that Apple doesn't want you to jailbreak your phone. Right, right. Well, I mean, and this is how like the find my phone things. I, I know people who've lost their phones, and and you know you you go into iCloud and you say lock the phone, and and you know when it when it charges back up, you know tell it to call this number or you know have a message appear on the screen, that kind of stuff, and that's how they recover their phone. So that's one of the things that Apple added for that same reason because to stop people from thieving each other's phones as well, right? Because if you could jailbreak a phone, like yeah, then the, the, you know thieves would be all over them, right? Because mm-hmm. they're worth a lot of money. So that was my understanding about how this would actually have worked. Uh, from everything that I've read today about it, is that um, you would enter DFU mode with yeah. the phone. It's yeah. a device firmware update, and mm-hmm. uh, that puts it into a state where you can actually install 
a new OS on top of mm-hmm. the existing one. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that that would be the vector that Apple's thing would use is to provide that new OS yeah. um, with that capability. Well, like I said, I've seen I've seen phones held them in my hands where the somebody's put an iCloud password in there, and even even putting the phone, you know, doing the hardware reset, getting it yeah, back to the yeah, phone. Yeah, I understand all that, Tim. I, I guess yeah. the, the point I'm trying to make here is that this predates all that, right? An, an iPhone 5 yeah, no, is, I, is old and enough. I do, yeah, from, the point, from your point of view of them making a special OS that they could then install as an upgrade to extend the number of passwords, that, like you're, you're right, in that particular device, that does sound plausible, right? I won't believe it until the Mythbusters do a show on it. Good Lord. So it's been a big news item today. I, I don't know how it's going to play out. That's the, that's the thing that we're going to have to keep tabs on. No, I mean, some of the stuff you found today is, is actually interesting. It's more than, than what I had heard so far. So I'll find a couple articles here and uh, paste them in. Um, sure. We'll include them in the show notes for sure. So here's one from uh, Ben Thompson at Stratechery. Just got an email maybe about an hour ago, I think, at least in my personal email, um, mm-hmm. that Apple Pay is now available in China. And yes, developers can, can offer that in, on their apps uh, in the Chinese app stores. Yeah, let me take a, a little aside here that I've uh, I've enjoyed using Apple Pay not only you know in person, <laughs> and I I feel like it, it feel really bad because it's like a sore point for some folks, like because uh, we like do have an Canadians? international audience. <laughs> well, I mean, it's unfortunate that there's like one card from one bank that supports it uh, in Canada, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but it doesn't have quite as uh, broad distribution as we have in the U.S. Um, but besides the, you know, in-store experience, mm-hmm. um, Apple Pay is actually super cool within apps, right? So I've used it, you know, in the past couple of months, tons of times for Fandango to buy movie tickets. And right. uh, even most recently today, used it to pay for um, for lunch, right? I was using mm-hmm. Uber Eats to get something uh, very quick and easy. It's fantastic because I don't have to, you know, remember a credit card number. Um, yeah. I don't have to type in anything. I just sort of use my fingerprint and away it goes. And they never see my real credit card number, which is awesome. Yeah, I think I think it's great. I would. I can't wait for the day when I don't have to carry around a, an actual physical credit card and I can just use Apple Pay yeah. for everything. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and I mean, I sort of had a taste of it because here in Canada, we've got a lot of NSC readers here on our cash registers and... Um, all of our credit cards and debit cards have have a chip in them, right, or an, an NFC chip, I guess. Um, and so, since I've been downtown working, you know, uh, at King and Bay, and there's a the pass system underneath, which is all full of restaurants, and there's all kind of, you, you have to walk ten feet to find something to either buy or eat or drink or whatever. Um, yeah, and, and walking up to them and just all I do is put my debit card down on top of the, the machine and, and it instantly just goes it goes into the default account on that thing and I don't have to enter a PIN number or whatever to to buy a Subway sandwich or something like that, right? So I've enjoyed that. Um, and I was telling Mark uh, a couple of weeks ago that I, I actually tried the order from Starbucks um, thing with the Starbucks app. But the problem is, is when you're underground, the GPS doesn't really work very well. And there's probably every 20 feet, there's a Starbucks under uh, under the pass system. So I was having a hard time getting it to, to set to the store that I wanted to go to. And I was just filling Mark in. All right. He's a big Starbucks, you know, Apple Pay kind of guy. So Did you hear the news about Apple Pay in Canada That's, that we heard this week? No, um, I didn't hear any news about applicating. It's it's a rumor, so uh, take it with okay. a grain of salt. All but right. okay. uh, some intrepid sleuths have found uh, codes within the latest version, uh, the latest beta of iOS nine point three, oh, really? I believe, hmm. uh, indicating the, some ties into Apple Pay for uh, Interac, 
which is Canada's oh, cool. national uh, uh, debit card system. So uh, it looks like Interact support may be coming to Apple Pay Ooh. in the near future. Um, and if that happens, that's the whole ball of wax. Um, pretty much anybody mm-hmm. in Canada would be able to use Apple Pay then, which mm-hmm. is, you know, that's it. Exciting. Yeah, I mean, the, the limiting factor for us is, is we're limited to American Express. I think Greg's the only one that uses yeah. it right now, right? So Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amex is, uh, is not terribly well known or, you know, it's, it's known, of course, but it's not it's not a very popular credit card to have in your wallet in Canada, at least. And, you know, I think, Jaime, yeah. you said at the time that it's not that big a deal in the States either. So <laughs> I have sometimes felt that maybe it's like a money laundering scam because what kind of credit <laughs> card can you not use just about anywhere? I mean, it's insane. It's like Discover. What's even the point? I also have my suspicions about them, too. Yeah. <laughs> You guys had one job. <laughs> so um, anyway, yeah, uh, for Canada, at least, it looks like there there's some uh, light at the end of the tunnel. Right now, it's uh, Apple Pay is in Canada only in the most technical term. Uh, it is not here yet by any means. Did you read that post about uh, Ghost moving to Singapore? I, yeah, I did read this. Um, well, it's, I, it's, it's interesting because you had just posted on Twitter that you're moving from WordPress to Ghost, right? Well, that was a little project I did last weekend. I uh, took my blog, aaron.vay.ca, um, and migrated to Ghost, which is a blogging platform, uh, which sort of grew uh, some of the people that were involved with WordPress, uh, broke away from Automatic, uh, the company okay. that makes it, and uh, started uh, working on this thing called Ghost. And uh, it was a reaction to the sort of, um, what's the word, the metastasizing of WordPress <laughs> from a, its simple roots as a blog system into a wholehearted content management system. Um, and so right, nowadays yeah. people are building uh, entire web applications, never mind websites, on top of mm-hmm. WordPress. Um, and it's, it's a damn mess. And it's, um, it's actually a huge, like my, my biggest uh, motivating factor for migrating away from WordPress was the constant hassle of maintaining it uh, from a security perspective. Right. Um, Because it's under constant assault from various quarters around the world uh, because it's such a known vector. It's PHP-based. It's riddled with with little issues, I think. Um, Mm -hmm. And um, I have a little uh, plug-in called... um, Word... uh, Yeah, WordFence, I think it's called. Yeah, WordFence. Yeah, I use that too. Yeah, and... That's BS that we should have to use that, Tim. <laughs> um, and I get a report from it all the time, from time to time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, are, there are mysterious files suddenly present on your WordPress installation. Oh, what? really? <laughs> You've never seen this? No, I mean, I, I, I use it. I've been using it. I use it on most of my sites, and, and I haven't seen that particular one. Oh, my yeah, goodness. I see it all the yeah, time. Yeah. It, it is a bit, it is a bit uh, what's the word for it? It is gabby or, or chatty, you know? Oh, yeah. look, you know, there's a new update for this little widget you haven't oh, used yeah, in five yeah, years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it's, it's a major vulnerability, yeah. But, um, yeah, just um, the, the very idea that, that it's, it's such a well-known vector for attack and, uh, you know, yeah. hackers have been successful in penetrating my system through WordPress. And, uh, you mm-hmm. know, it's not that important to me, so to hell with it. And I thought, okay, I'm going to find something else. Um, the criteria were that it be a decent blog platform and that uh, it allowed me to migrate from WordPress, right? Because right, I've got... Right. I got some eight, nine years of blog articles that I want to make sure still stick around. Um, mm-hmm. And so Ghost offered that because it comes from WordPress, and they're well aware of where WordPress stands in the blog universe, the blogiverse, if you will. And so mm-hmm. they've provided this mechanism. They have a plugin that you can get for WordPress, install it in WordPress. Uh, you do some preparation work, and then you uh, kick out a big-ass JSON file, which you then, and then it, 
my yeah, import right. into your Ghost installation. Mm-hmm. Now, this was the, the work of a, you know, not a whole weekend, obviously, but, you know, uh, during the family day weekend last week, which was a long weekend here in Canada, um, you know, I worked on it off and on. I probably put about four or five hours into it, uh, migrating mm-hmm. my site from WordPress to Ghost. And it went fine. Mm-hmm. You know, it's done. It looks better. works better. You know, it's nice. I'm fine. I'm happy. Okay? So, worked yeah. fine. But then, you know, um, they published this thing, and they, maybe this is where you'd like to pick it up, Tim. Sure. Well, so I thought it was interesting as sort of independent developers, if you will, um, they're a remote shop, basically. Like, uh, they originally, the, the people who started the, the, the company um, decided to, to register the company in the, United, in the United Kingdom. And so they jumped on, one of the guys from the U.S. jumped on a plane and went over and did the whole thing. And now they've run into some, some nonsense with uh, the U.K. government, which I can't speak to because I don't know much about it. Um, this was posted, I think, by some of my my UK friends. Uh, that's how I f- found out about it. And um, so they've decided to move their corporation to Singapore, where they're they're I guess they're getting treated better. And uh, since they're a remote company, why do they really need to have sort of any kind of bricks and mortar kind of location to to tie them down? I thought it was an interesting point from uh, from the point of view of the where a lot of businesses are going to the point where they really don't necessarily have an office. It's a bunch of guys working out of their homes and you know meeting up on track and you know using using the tools to to collaborate and get get the work done right so uh, just an interesting story and it just it was timely that I just literally had just read this and uh, and then saw Aaron's tweet about uh, moving to ghost himself so yeah it was funny timing yeah. it seems to be their their biggest motivation for going was to avoid this European Union thing that yeah. moss like a yeah. value-added tax system of some form. That was mm-hmm. apparently quite onerous from an administrative perspective for them. Right. Yeah. So lots of lots of headache. And and uh, again, I can't really speak to it, but I do remember seeing some flack from the Europeans that I hang out with online that uh, were saying, yeah, they, they kind of saw this as a as a totally valid reason for leaving the UK. Yeah. Because and different parts of the U- different parts of Europe have different rules, and and uh, just I guess it's just one particular thing in the UK itself. You want to talk about Rob Ryan going to Apple? What? Yeah, yeah, I mean, well, you know, this blew my socks off. I could not believe this. Yeah, well, no, so I for me, believe. I came at it from the point of view of Jamie. I've forgotten her last name, though. A moving, being made. C. What was it again? Jaime. C. O. O. That'd be Chief Operating Officer Jamie Newberry. Jamie Newberry. Yeah, and she's a, she. Just, if you follow some of the the uh, um, conferences around, she, she's a regular speaker at a lot of them. Um, I haven't, personally, I haven't seen her speak myself, but. Um, I know of her, and I think I follow her on Twitter, and I know a bunch of people who who do follow her. Um, and Rob Ryan, of course, is you know sort of a big guy in in the Apple community. I think early iOS, probably even Mac OS ten, um, and he's one of the founders of Martian Craft. That's right. Yeah. So, fill us in. Well, uh, Rob Ryan and Rob and Kyle Richter are the co-founders of Martian Craft. Mm-hmm. And uh, so Martian Craft is a, an agency. They, they do work for a lot of companies. Uh, they have their own products as well. Um, you might know them as uh, Briefs. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also bought a diff tool called Changes and have been maintaining that since then. But if you actually go to their page, they've got a ton of apps here. They've got uh, 10 apps listed on their page um, mm. as apps that they make themselves. Uh, but they, they make their dollars on their consulting work. And, uh, of course, they're, they're all hush-hush on who they work with, but mm-hmm. um, their page lists 1,274 shipped apps. Think wow. about that. For, for 
Wow. Uh, for iOS, uh, Apple TV, uh, Watch OS, Mac, mm-hmm. and Android. So they've done all kinds of work. Oh, remember the the Daily app? Remember yep. the Daily? Yep. That, when that yep. came out? Martian Craft. Right, right. Yeah. Actually, it was not yeah. a very uh, well-received app. <laughs> uh, yeah. They say they've done the Rhapsody app. Mm-hmm. Uh, the music they've, done, they've done some. I, I've, I've talked to them before, and I've talked to Kyle privately, and, and they've worked for some pretty big names. I mean, like if, yeah. you know, the, the, the big, I think, Fortune IBM, 100 is what NASA, you said. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Associated Press. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got a bunch of things down here. So, and a bunch of logos on the bottom of their page. Taco Bell, IBM, <laughs> Ted, Apple. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. they've got, anyway, a lot. And Rob Ryan is considered something of a success, you know? Like, he's very well-known. I'm sure he does very, very well uh, yeah. financially. And um, pretty much I think he's, of the game. he was speaking at NS North. I'm not sure if that's changing, but, you know. I don't know. Yeah, but he does a lot of speaking as well. I've seen him speak several times at various conferences. He's a, he's a well-established leadership-type figure in the development community. Mm-hmm. So uh, when he announced today that he was taking a job at Apple and would be effective next month, Wow. I think my socks literally flew off my feet. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, that's just the very last person you would expect. Because, you know, you could see, you know, like, I'm, I'm thinking of, um, you know Kevin Hochter? He's a developer no. um, from Texas. He had uh, an app called MoneyWell. Mm-hmm. And um, very well known, actually, like, among, you know, people who cared. But uh, he, he was an independent developer for many years. And uh, MoneyWell sort of, um, f- personal finance software right for the mac and and ios and it sort of dwindled over time you know the 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 company just sort of faded and Mm -hmm. um and then kevin hochter decided to go work for apple and got the job and left for apple and um his his products kind of got mothballed basically Mm. um you know so you can kind of see there you know like indie indie developer not doing that great uh it's a tougher world out there so it's tough to be successful um and so you end up you know leaving it and taking a job with with apple in this case, but Rob Ryan is not that story, you know, like he's by all accounts anyway, doing very, very well, very well, crazy well. You would think, yeah, for yeah. sure. And, um, and so sort of leaving at the top of his game, not at the bottom of it. Uh, so Does he know anything about self-driving cars, maybe? I don't know. That's the funny thing, you know. They would have had to make him a heck of an offer, you know? That's not, like that's what I'm offer. thinking. Like, there's, there's, obviously, there's obviously, he's not going in to work on, you know, the next mail app. He's, you know, he's going to go in and no. do something yeah. higher level, right? I would think so. I got to believe that um, he's being given operational responsibility over mm-hmm. something significant, mm-hmm. you know? And, uh, and we'll you know, never know. A we'll salary we'll commensurate. Ten years it. or something, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe. So, just um, you know, to me, it was just really shocking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the other okay. guys are asleep. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I'm just kind of here <laughs> holding hope beyond hope that maybe he's working on the app store because that's uh, oh, that's kind of what we need is some app store help. <laughs> he would know about it, right? <laughs> <laughs> maybe he's going to teach him about version control. Oh, good heavens. What do you, what do you think they're Regression testing. <laughs> regression testing. I think they know about that stuff, don't they? You think so? Come on. Have you seen what the you products think? they've been shipping lately? Hmm. Well, that's actually been a topic of conversation lately, too. Um, if you heard um, the talk show, John Gruber's podcast, uh, he had uh, oh, Craig Federighi and, and Eddie Q yeah. on, and uh, they talked about that. Um, and there have hmm. been a few column inches um, written about this issue as well in the last week. Um, mm-hmm. 
So, you know, and, and then there was, I guess it was really sparked by Walt Mossberg's article, uh, which was sort of agreeing with you, Tim, on uh, Apple's sort of troubles with software quality of late. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I got to be honest with you, like, um, I'm not really of that school of thought myself. Like, I, I tend to be, uh, believe that there, there are issues that people are reporting are getting blown into proportion by the fact that yeah. there are way more Apple users these days. And so mm-hmm. smaller issues affect a correspondingly large number of people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, and of course I, you know, the software, I use Apple software every day, uh, many hours a day, and it is not perfect. <laughs> it's not right, perfect. Right. Oh my God. But it's not, um, it's not uh, stopping me from doing my job, you know? Right, right. Um, I feel like it's overblown. Okay. I, I, I don't know. Like, uh, that's just my feeling about that. So, um, you know, here. <laughs> you just pasted anyway. a link to something we talked about last week. I did. I want. I want to, as a follow up piece. I want to. I don't know, Mark. I, I know the answer to this question. Did you listen to last week's episode at all? No, I haven't had a chance to. <laughs> <laughs> Let us know when you do, Mark. <laughs> so we talked last week. We flailed around and, and you know, like about the fact that uh, we, Greg posted a story about Moore's Law is really dead now. Yeah, they've been saying that for twenty years. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So it wasn't news, okay. Well, no, I mean, it, it's, it's, you know, it, it may very well be, I, I don't know, uh, but but it is true that as long as I've been paying attention, which has been about 20 years, uh, they've, there have been these uh, supposed uh, fundamental limitations to Moore's Law, and this is really the end. It was, you know, 20 years ago, it was the one micron transistor would be the end. You can't do anything below that. Okay, mm-hmm. and, then, and then they managed to break through that with some cool you know, uh, innovative technology. Uh, and then it became, you know, I don't know what, well, you can't go below, uh, point one and et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and now there are 10 nanometers, right? I mean, it's, uh, yes, there is a fundamental limitation to the physics and the material science, and, and they're getting very close to that now, mm-hmm. extremely close to that. But whether you can, you know, proclaim that Bohr's law is dead I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't bet against the the innovation of of people in the in the semiconductor business. They're pretty smart people. Um, mm-hmm. come, there's there's all sorts of new types of of, of manufacturing techniques and geometries uh, that are making up for some of the loss that you got from not being able to scale. I mean, it used to be the, for you know for thirty years the rule was just make things smaller and they get faster and you fit mm-hmm. more on and. And, and that's where Moore's Law came from. It was just a scaling argument. And then, of course, there's limitations that I mentioned that there, you, you can only scale down so far, right, until there's nothing left to scale down. Uh, and then there's also heat issues and things like that. So, yeah, there have been some pretty fundamental obstacles that so far have been overcome. And, and now, you know, the, now the, the, the new thing, it's not even so new, but the, the current thing is is uh, moving away from what's called the planar process, which is how 99.9% of all the transistors in the world are made. They're just made on the surface of the, of the, of the wafer, uh, and it's basically a two-dimensional uh, geometry. They're mm-hmm. moving to three-dimensional geometries where things are stacked on top of each other. So they always happen, but in a different way, uh, and they've managed to extend the lifetime uh, of Moore's Law by that, by doing things like that. So, I don't know, you know, maybe, <laughs> but maybe not. <laughs> I, I won't be any more committal than that. I actually haven't read this particular article, but, uh, you know, but I've been hearing this for, like I said, for 20 years that Moore's Law is dead. So, I don't know. Hmm. Is there any particular reason why it might be kind of fashionable to talk about it right now? I mean, I've not 
personally aware of anything going on in that industry yeah. that like oh my god like intel came out with a paper that said it cannot be done or, or some other sort right. of you know right. big source well causes yes sort of yes uh we are for sure reaching the end of scaling and when you're talking about 14 nanometers that's you know that's that's uh 140 angstroms right that's an, an atom size an atom is an angstrom or two so we're getting down to the point where where you're trying to define a well-reproducible manufacturable technology that's about 50 atoms wide and that's pretty amazing when you think about it and when you try to when you try to think about going beyond that and going down to something even smaller than that then it's it's hard to imagine that being any anything that could be that could be manufacturable so so we're getting to that point where there's really nowhere to go just from scaling uh and uh it's just a matter of well, what else can they do instead of scaling? So you could say that yeah, now I mean there's there's a good argument there's as good an argument now as there ever was, maybe a better argument now than there ever was about the end of Moore's law because we've, we're reaching the end of scaling. And that's to say with silicon, is there not another type of material that they're looking at or could look at? Well, um, silicon is, is is kind of the uh, by the way on the west coast we call it silicon on the east coast they call it silicon, but. Uh, Silicon is kind of the the magic material. For, How do you say Java? <laughs> I don't mind. We got I say last Java, week. but I came from Boston, so that, that, I don't know. I don't know. I say Java though. But anyway, um, silicon is kind of the magic material for this kind of stuff uh, because of its it's you know it's got some nice properties for 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 doing all this kind of thing. There are there are other types of semiconductors that have been talked about for years and years, like gallium arsenide or gallium nitride or silicon carbide uh, that are good mm-hmm. for certain things. Uh, but they're generally more good for, you know, very, in particular gallium nitride and, and, and silicon carbide, they're more good for high power stuff. Mm-hmm. There's there's some other, th- other types of novel materials that get used for the gate oxide, which is an important component, uh, and as opposed to the silicon itself. It's the insulator that separates the pieces of silicon or, or, or metal or whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. And there's things called high K dielectrics that you can get more capacitance out of a, out of the same thickness of, of material, and, and you can improve things that way. Uh, but but in terms of a whole fundamental new material system, it's pretty hard to imagine just because of well, for one thing that it's it's sort of the perfect perfect material as it is, and there's so much investment in technology and process process technology for this stuff that it would it would be starting over again. Um, Hard to imagine, but people talk about carbon nanotubes and things like that. Yeah, who knows? Okay, well, I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is this from Greg here talking about these? Uh, there's two links here for yes, um, yes, HTTP I servers. I didn't look at them, but yes, they are from Greg. The, yeah. All right. He pasted these in. I mean, he's got, I should lock him out and block his access to the document. <laughs> <laughs> access denied <laughs> too shifty looking <laughs> yep okay uh, I don't have anything I can say about these because uh, I haven't looked at them um, I haven't looked at them either but I, but I just have to say it's great to see that people are doing this kind of stuff they're, they're web, web uh, frameworks for Swift like, that we've you know, mentioned a couple of times it seems like there's more and more people working on it now which is great mm-hmm. sure yeah, this one's called Blackfish. We'll put a link in the show notes so people can check out the GitHub page. And, and Swifter. What's the other one? Swifter's right the other it. one? Swifter. Yeah, it's a little interesting that we're in this pre-Cambrian explosion of uh, of things coming out. You know, I think really because Swift is open source, right? I don't think 
people would have been thinking about doing this sort of thing yeah. if that was impossible to have. Um, especially people trying to port sort of ideas from other frameworks, like Blackfish claims to be inspired by uh, Node.js and Express.js. Yeah, it looks like Sinatra to me, but okay. <laughs> yeah, he did mention that. But, I mean, this is this is cool. This is why, one of the reasons why when I first got into Linux um, on Debian, um, on like on a 68K Mac, believe it or not, um, it was cool. The first thing I did was set up a website and then, you know, eventually made a DNS server and stuff like that. But it was, this is, this is how it starts, right? Yeah. We need to see more, um, infrastructure built on top of this stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, like th- these are both very basic looking HTTP handlers, if you will. You know, I, I equate it just because of my Ruby background. I equate it all with Sinatra, you know, which is a very mm-hmm. simple thing. Um, but, um, yeah, there could be yeah, more. Yeah. start yeah, obviously, absolutely. I wish Apple would uh, follow suit and put a Swift backend on CloudKit the way they have with with JavaScript. Mm-hmm. That would be, that would be yeah. Cool. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. We should not be seeing everything in JavaScript. Yeah. <sighs> Someday. <laughs> yeah, let's go around the table like we usually do and see if anybody has any picks, and let's start with Aaron and see if he has a pick. I do. So uh, my pick this week is a new app from the news site Quartz. And they introduced a new iOS app this week with the same name. Uh, but the the thing is, is, like it's not a generic news app uh, in the sense of serving up articles and you know, like you you read stories, you maybe share stories. Uh, it has a very different format. Uh, it's basically like a text chat, and so whenever you use it, you pull it out of your pocket, the phone that is, and um, open up the app. And you are engaged in a chat with their news service, basically. So I would start it up, and it would say, okay, well, here's what's up for tonight. Um, says Hillary Clinton is trying to avoid the same misstep that killed her 2008 campaign. And then you get a couple of options. You can say next, or like, because I don't care about that. Or you could say, what? Like, you know, tell me more. And then you you tap that button, and then it comes up with a sort of precy of the story, the article, that uh, the initial report is attached to. Uh, So it's a a really nice, quick summary of current events in the news. Uh, So in this instance about Hillary Clinton's misstep from 2008, uh, it talks a little bit about it in one paragraph, basically. And it looks like a chat app. It's like chat bubbles coming up uh, from courts. And it's just explaining about uh, the number of delegates required for her to win the uh, Democratic nomination. Um, Mentions how uh, Obama did it back then in 2008. Um, and then if you'd like, you can say, oh, tell me about superdelegates, and it'll throw a paragraph at you about that one. Uh, or mm-hmm. you can just skip it, right, and go on next. And, um, you know, it's a very clever little presentation about it. And, uh, you know, it includes uh, little animated GIFs and uh, little emojis, and uh, it's a lot of fun. It's actually a very innovative little news app, and uh, give it a shot. Oh, yeah. It's even got a watch component as well. I don't know if you mentioned that or not, but... Uh, I would not bother mentioning that actually, because it's actually terrible. <laughs> um, the watch component, um, is, is simply a haiku to, uh, somehow demonstrate the current state of the stock market. Oh, really? Okay. That is okay. utterly random. Um, and so I, I, I have it on my watch obviously, but, uh, I just don't look at it. It also includes hmm. a, um, uh, what are those things called? The, uh, widgets that you put in your watch face? Uh, what are those called? You know, oh, con- complications. Complication. Thank you. And the complication that you can get from Quartz, um, like the Watch app, uh, it's it's an emoji that summarizes the state of the market. So like a monkey covering its eyes. 
Oh no. <laughs> okay. Yeah, don't don't want to look. Um, that sort of thing. Again, not not of any use to me. Uh, so check out the iPhone app and don't use the watch app. So have you been using this app at all? Yeah, or? yeah. Well, that's the funny thing. You're like, you know, yeah. um, over the years, I've tried many different uh, news apps for the phone, right? And sure. iPad. Yeah. Um, and I don't really ever care. I don't like the news. Let me start with that, okay? I just yeah, don't yeah. like the news. I'm with you. Yep. Um, and so I tend not to read the news. And so uh, this was uh, actually has been a pleasant surprise for me because of the format that it's in. Uh, it is so very different from your classic news app. Uh, that it's not like everything here, just read whatever you like. It's like, here's this is, this is the three things that we feel are important that you should know now. And I think mm-hmm. they update it maybe three times a day. So I looked at it tonight, and uh, you know, before, I was, uh, before we started recording tonight, Tim, I was sitting here waiting for you to call, and I went through Quartz, and there were three articles, um, and I could have, you know, some of them I skipped, I wasn't interested in, uh, and some of them I, I asked further questions about. Um, and it was uh, it was just you know five minutes, and I was caught up. And now it says at the bottom when I look at the app right now, you're all caught up. Come back later. Does it know if you does it do you know if it does any of that sort of like figures out what kind of things interest you and then serves them up yeah. that way? Or uh, it's definitely collecting that data, but I don't get the sense that they're really doing that right now. Right, right. Has it been out for a while or just this week? Oh, really? It's just brand new. Shiny, yeah. So brand you'll new. see the um, and with my pick, I've got the link there to it. Um, mm-hmm. So the uh, article talking all about this app was published on February 11th, five days ago. Mm-hmm. Well, it's cool in terms of real-time follow-up. While Aaron was talking about that on the Quartz website, I found a, an article I put in the show notes called This is Why the FBI Can't Hack Your iPhones. Okay. So there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's the tone that I kind of felt there. But uh, uh, i got a couple questions for you, Aaron. So does it do a fairly good job of one... Um, localizing, you know, for you folks in particular, since you're Canadian, that would be a really good, interesting check to see if it's very U.S. centric or I actually don't know where Quartz is headquartered, but they are in the states, yeah. Okay. And they've okay. they've got like an in, a local Indian edition, and uh, some, I think European as well. Uh, so I'm I'm ge- I'm getting the U.S. version basically. Let me um, I'm I'm sort of panning up through the app. Um, and I can actually scroll up to when I far- first started using it. So here's here's some of the subject matter that I've been seeing. Uh, Tesla's performance in the market. Twitter's stock market performance. Um, the UK's prosecuting Disney for Millennium Falcon accident. Remember that? Um, and I, a little more information about that and a huh? gif of Han Solo. Another story, Tim. Oh, okay. sorry. Yeah. Um, uh, oh. Uh, about the gravitational wave news that came out last week. Um, meet the grown-up 90s kids who never left Disney behind. I skipped that one. Um, Meryl Streep defended an all-white film festival panel by saying, quote, we're all Africans, really, unquote. Sports editor Thomas McBee tested the extremes of masculinity as the first transgender man to fight in a Madison Square Garden. I skipped that one, too. And then uh, some more about Hillary and uh, Bernie Sanders. Uh, Some information about that. Japanese investors suffered one of the worst weeks in history. Um, So I got some more information about that including a gif of a bear roaring. Get it? Women pay more for a U.S. college degree than men. You know, so this is like, I don't know, how would, what would you call it? Like, there's definitely a U.S., you know, bias to it. Business bias, mm-hmm. technology bias. Um, but I'm into it, you know? So it's okay. So does it let I'm you... I'm enjoying... No, no, I don't know. You were just going to... Does it let you... No, it doesn't. Sorry, does it, um, <laughs> does it let you tune that in any sort of way? No, um, no, no. Okay, interesting. There's nothing. Like, it's just basically, like, if you go to qz.com, and look at their their sort of selection of articles. 
Um, a lot of the articles come from their own site, uh, although not exclusively. Like I see stuff from The Guardian, uh, from Bloomberg News, um, other, other locations. Uh, it is not exclusively on their own site. Well, I'm actually just going through the onboarding process on the app and it starts off by asking you, it says, oh, we'll send you messages, and it says, like this, and you tap yeah. on it. And the next thing it says, you know, do you want push notifications? But it, but it uses their, they use their own API to sort of, or their own interface to do that, right? So as opposed to popping up the big, ugly Apple one, you know? So right. sure, notifications, let's try that. Anyway, so I'll continue that later. Yeah, the, the key thing, the observation here is that it's a chat. It's a chat. That's all the app is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, keep that in mind if you're thinking about it, because it's uh, it's very different from anything we've ever experienced before. So all they right. mentioned here in their article about this app that um, most notifications are rel- you know, are silent and they just kind of quietly light up your phone, and that they won't actually buzz you until it's really important. Have you found that to be generally true? Yeah, I, I've not been troubled um, when the uh, the news refreshes. It's like they give you three sort of clips, little pieces of news to give you an idea of what is in the latest update. Um, but that's it. And then I can choose to look at that or not. Cool. I'll have to give it a try and see um, how accurate that is because I have tried similar type things that uh, have no sort of filter or at least proper editorial filter <laughs> for the news. It would be, you know, buzzing yeah. me like crazy. Like, hey, 10 things you won't no. believe about Beyonce's latest album and. Yeah, kind of buried like in the other news is like the president of the United States has been assassinated. It's like, what? It's like, I should have seen that one first. Hey, come hey, on, guys. Bite your tongue, man. That's a terrible thing to say. <laughs> I mean, oh, it's yeah, a hypothetical was... example of like, everybody in the world needs to know that one, right? That impacts everyone right. globally. What Beyonce is or isn't doing today is uh, a little less relevant. Now, what oh. Kanye is doing, though, that's, that's really important stuff. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. Sorry. <laughs> Kickstarterforkanye.com. <laughs> yeah, I saw a meme today of uh, somebody had photoshopped Kanye kissing himself. <laughs> Dude, he would if he could. If he could. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> well, all I have to say to that is just clap. Please Tell clap. Me, well, some, some, please clap. Please clap. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you for correcting yeah. me. Um, so, Jaime, do you have any uh, picks? I do. Or, and or, it's, do you have like 12 uh, of them or just one? Uh, just one this time. Wow. <laughs> it ballooned it to five, apparently, if I believe uh, last week's episode, uh, card to Greg. Um, it was three, for the record. Yeah, she was just shown out to you. <laughs> no, I only have one, and it's a real questionable one uh, to begin with. I'll, I'll be you know, straightforward and honest here. This is actually more of a, um, a request out to the audience, or even the panel members here. So... Uh, Google has released something called Earl Grey, and mm-hmm. it's a iOS automation test framework. They do answer the question, uh, at least to some respects, of like, why would you even bother with this when there's Xcode's UI testing as of uh, I, sorry Xcode 7? And they sort of half answer it for me in the, in the first line of like, hey, this is more of a gray box testing solution, and Xcode UI is completely black box. For folks who may or may not be familiar with that terminology, traditionally folks have talked about um, black box, meaning you test it and you don't know anything about the internal implementation, right? So uh, you could think of that as being like a person looking at your app and poking and prodding at um, all the different widgets that are on screen, right? They have no idea if there's a network service. They have no idea if you're using Swift or, you know, Reactive Cocoa or anything else underneath the covers. White box is, is quite the opposite, where... If you've been writing, you know things like unit tests for your code, you you know quite well what 
what's going on under the covers. And Grey Box is kind of halfway in between. And what it says here on the tin for Earl Grey is that where this can help you is around some of the shortcomings that you have for the pure black box testing part that Xcode UI has, right? So although I am familiar that XC test can do things like wait for network requests to come back and then do some sort of function, right? So you don't have to um, add some sort of, you know, timeout after five seconds, timeout after 30 seconds sort of thing. My understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong here, um, both here on the panel as well as people out there in the internet, I don't think there's any way to do that from the UI standpoint. So you can't necessarily say, hey, great, tap this button. You know, we know this is going to do some sort of network call and then immediately do something after the screen refreshes itself relative to that network call. They can sort of hack around some things and say, well, wait for this thing to appear because I know this UI element will appear when that happens. But you Mm -hmm. don't know for certain that it's going to appear within a certain amount of time. Um, nor can you save yourself time, right? So if you're writing tons and tons of, of tests, um, each one is going to take longer and longer if you have this hypothetical timeout waiting for 30 seconds for every run just to make sure that you don't have false, struggling to think of the term here, like a, like a false positive that you have a crashing test and it turns out, no, well, the network was just slow talking to your API that one afternoon, right? Mm-hmm. Thoughts, comments, concerns? <laughs> yeah, I've never used uh, Xcode's UI testing, actually. Like, we were just talking about this today in my um, my company Slack that I'm working with right now with my client. Um, somebody brought this to our attention. And uh, it appeared to be sort of an in-between um, Xcode's UI testing and, and Xcode's unit testing. Um, but I, So I wasn't clear on exactly what uh, what role it played in the sort of testing universe of ours. And uh, so you're, you're talking about uh, can, can UI testing and Xcode handle network stuff, right? And I know that in the uh, unit testing, there's XC expectation. Is that what it's called? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, which, which you write to sort of tell it to wait for a network response or an asynchronous response at least. Um, and then you can say that the, um, the expectation has been what's the word fulfilled yeah fulfilled fulfilled yeah yeah um and so i don't know if there is an analog to that in ui testing i'm just sort of googling right now while i'm talking <laughs> yeah there was there's a shifty looking guy who did a tutorial on it on that guy the, i don't trust website. him at all though yeah, on the ui testing and I, and I to be honest with you i did it i, I went through the exact it was very brief but um yeah i'm not too sure you were mentioning kif before weren't you jaime isn't that something for doing ui testing Yes, and it ex- uh, KIF existed as a third-party open-source framework. Um, I'm not sure exactly how long before Xcode UI's testing came along, but um, at least for a couple years prior, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, there are others that are similarly popular. Um, right, right. I don't know where the state of testing is for folks. I mean, of course, anything that comes from Apple itself, you can feel real great and proud that this is going to continue to be useful as every new version of Xcode and, and iOS and Mac OS X come out. Um, so I'm, on the one hand, slightly concerned about investing you know, any time at all into something like an Earl Grey or, or Kif mm-hmm. going forward. Mm-hmm. Other hand, it's I've seen where suites of tests can just take forever, right? Nobody wants to wait 45 minutes for an entire suite of tests to run just because you have a lot of timeout-based things, right? You want sort of as quick as this thing will run, run it. And that's right, kind of right. what I'm looking for. Okay, it appears that, um, as I, I've, I'm in this article here, um, 
I'll put the link in the show notes. Uh, it appears that um, UI testing does support the expectations oh, that we were okay. just talking about. So uh, I'll just put this link right here for you. It's got a lot of information about UI testing in Xcode 7. If you scroll down, you'll see some how to wait for elements with UI testing. Let me take another side here. The part of the challenge with finding information about this um, this topic is it seems like every article stopped right around the summertime, right? Like, as, yeah. as far as I can tell, yeah. just from the Googles, um, nobody in the world, <clears throat> he says with a rather broad brush, nobody in the world <laughs> cares about <laughs> automated testing because if there was, there would be <laughs> at least some random dude in or gal in her basement saying, hey, look at this cool thing I did. I learned about it. Test-driven design today, you know, uh, that aside, uh, this article is actually a fairly good example because it came out uh, as each beta came out. And they do mention that That's you right. can do this wait for expectation sort of thing, right? You can set a timeout, which is what I'm personally hoping to avoid because they can stack up in some of the worst cases. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but even though, like, um, yeah, it, it, that's in the worst case, right? Because, like, it does wait for the expectation. You can fulfill it before the timeout runs out. So it's not like you're always going to hit that timeout. Right. It, it's just one of those things where it, it, I really don't like the having to think about and craft very carefully the, okay, well, what should reasonably happen? Mm, okay, 30 seconds. Well, no, okay, there's occasions where network isn't so great. Okay, well, let's make it a minute. And, and Yikes, come on. Nobody's going to eat in a minute. <laughs> oh, well, well, it depends on I your I mean, that's a condition that can oh, happen. Oh, no, a minute happens, yeah, pretty commonly. Well, maybe not a minute, but... I mean, as long as, you're leeching, as long as you're leeching data through, like, that timeout mm-hmm. isn't going to happen. So in any case, if people out there have experience with Earl Grey uh, or are interested in, you know, telling us more, I think absolutely you should. I did try sending it over to uh, Mr. TDD himself, uh, Greg Keo, and uh, I think he deferred to uh, Sam Davies, if I'm not mistaken. I'll have to take a look at, at Twitter. So apparently TDD does not stand for Test Driven Development in Greg's name. It is uh, Touchdown Dance is what I'm going with. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I, my, Graham Lee is my Test Driven Developer guru, so... Sorry, Greg. <clears throat> I'll be completely honest and transparent here, since we're being honest and transparent and whatever today. Um, my pick is uh, by um, Alexis Gallagher. He did a talk on Realm, our favorite you know, site for going for that kind of stuff, on 3D Touch and Swift. And it's called The Amazing Powers and Mesmerizing Secrets of 3D Touch. So he talks about, in his opinion... 3D, 3D force touch is or 3D touch is the first new general purpose input method in iOS since the phone came out right and he compares it to the other great things that we've had in the past you know the compass um, the touch ID being one but touch ID t- uh, biometrics isn't new the, he talked about the barometer or something they added in and everybody ran out to the barometer app but he goes through the in, in the talk he goes through the uh, Two typical, two ones that are well documented and, and talked about by Apple, which is the home screen um, 3D touch events, which you know are purposeful. You know, you click on a uh, click on photo and you and you get notifications, that kind of stuff. And the other one is peek and pop. And um, but it's the force touch ones or force force properties that are the cool ones. And and that's I think it's worthwhile having a look at that video on 3D touch. 
seeing what he has to say about how mesmerizing and wonderful it is. Well, what are we saying? What are we saying about the the forced properties piece? Was that it's not very there isn't a whole lot of documentation from Apple on it. But similar to how I talked about the uh, the pen um, events you get or feedback you get from the pen in in the in Xcode, you get a ton of feedback from um, when you have a touch event on the device. You get tons of granularity in terms of you know, how big the touch area is and how much pressure you're applying. The numbers just fly off. It's kind of like how the, if, you ever, if you ever played with accelerometer on your, your phone, um, as you move the device, you kind of get um, lots of feedback from the device. So, um, and, he, and it supports multi-touch, and so he's got a he shows a little demo app that he created where you can actually see like a circle where his, his thumb touches the screen, and as he presses down on the on the glass, you see the 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 size of the the he basically expands the circle out to show the size of the amount of pressure as well as a bunch of numbers you know flying flying along showing what he's doing and then then he puts his multiple fingers on and you know different different pressures on there and the thing is that what he's saying is that it's kind of like um what did he say it was like i uh, iphone 2 kind of or ios 2 kind of access in the api in other words there's not a lot of you know ui developed for it yet and um Apple hasn't hasn't really documented it yet, so it's sort of kind of like it's there, um, and it's kind of like a blank canvas for people to, to, to kind of take and and just run with in terms of maybe what some amazing you know interface kind of app or game or something they might come up with. It's a really interesting talk. It's definitely one I'll have to watch. I'll um, make a couple comments as I'm flipping through the uh, the transcripts. Mm-hmm. One is there's a, a hilarious sounding section about um korean sausage and hot dogs and from what i gather here using hot dogs as a capacitive element to try to measure in a very scientific way apparently here the kind of pressure you're getting right so not just pushing and thinking about how hard you are but actually being able to use uh weights and measures Uh, i just love the title uh korean sausage and hot dogs the other thing is in the q a portion Somebody is asking, uh, have you measured this data on more than one iPhone? I'm yep. wondering if they're all calibrated the same. Mm. And if anybody's done anything with uh, sensor stuff, um, they are absolutely not going to be guaranteed to be the same. Even, even oh, really? if they came okay. the same way yep. oh, out yeah, of the yeah. factory, there's always going to, even if they came out of the, the factory the same, right? There's always still a little bit of variation from the factory itself. But the next thing is drift, right? You don't know how that phone has gone through hot and cold cycles, recharging cycles, all sorts mm, of things, you know, right, dropped, right. you know, dog yeah. slobber. Who knows what's what's happening to these phones? Well, um, over time, my, the more you press it, the more you press it, the it does does it change over time, right? Does the calibration yeah, does change it, over time? Does it, yeah. Does it rebound back to its original shape? Um, yeah. That sort of mm. thing. <laughs> Linearity is probably a big issue, too. There's, if, if you're going to use it as sort of an analog type of device where you want to map, you know, uh, continuously map variations in pressure to an actual value, then it has to be linear over some regime, uh, or you, can, you won't be able to trust the results, right? Because, um, uh, you know, you, you have to have a good mapping. Uh, and will that change over the lifetime? And over what range of pressures is it, is it linear? There's a lot, mm-hmm. of, lot of issues here. I mean, it's, it's fundamentally meant to be a, a digital type of device, you know, yes or no, right? Did you press or did you right. not press? Mostly. Right. So, yeah, it, it would be cool if it worked, but but uh, it'll be interesting to see how, how reliable it is for all the reasons you've been saying, Jaime. Yeah, and yeah. with sensor stuff, you generally need some sort of discrete values for less 
as yep. you mentioned, digital, right? Um, mm-hmm. uh, this says that it can support, I don't know, like 600 different degrees of pressure, but uh, how realistic yeah. is it that somebody, uh, in a UI sense at the very least, could reasonably differentiate between those in a very repeatable way? Um, I yeah. think it would be rather difficult, right? Um, but yeah. let's say it's you know 10 values to go with, some rather small number. You're generally better off going with some sort of discrete values that you're looking for and snapping to those thresholds, right? Where you say, eh, 6.5, that's pretty close to 7. Great. You know, round up to 7, mm. that sort of thing. Um, otherwise, you end up with weird... I don't know if you've seen apps out there that, that do this, like, let's say the... Um, the accelerometer and gyroscope-based things where they have this weird twitchiness where you're trying to hold it level, and by yeah. golly, like, there's just no way with a, a pulsing, yeah. beating heart that your hand can hold it perfectly level. And it, it just feels like an awful experience. It's, things are twitching around and moving, and you kind of want a little bit of a, a bit of give, a little bit of a dead zone where it says, okay, within 5 degrees, 10 degrees, that's close enough. I'll give it to you. Yeah, you got to toss out a bunch of data. And that's what I was talking about with the accelerometer apps that I've built in the past. Where if you look at look at the you know the x and y and z values you're getting in in Xcode as you're moving the device, it's just the numbers are just flying off the chart unless you you know truncate them down to a smaller bite sizable piece, right? So, and that's probably the same thing here. And I know it's the same thing with the, the force pressure I've seen on the with the pen on the iPad Pro, you know. So. It's an interesting, interesting talk. I mean, from the point of view, I mean, I don't. I, do any of us have a six S or a six plus S or six S plus? No, right? Nope. No. Yeah. So clearly, you also need to do. Any, but his point was that in in in, in when he talks about earlier in the talk about uh, the fact that he looked at a bunch of Apple apps and about two thirds of them are using uh, some sort of force touch or three D touch. So it's kind of uh, kind of an interesting interesting time to sort of uh, be thinking about this. He's got a couple of little ideas here for, for some apps which sound kind of cool. But um, And of course, his code, he's, at the very end of it, he's, he's got a link to uh, Apple's 3D Touch for iPhone sample code, as well as sample code, and then his own Touch Visualizer repro, which is the app I was talking about, where you, you can put your finger on the screen, you see kind of a circle, and as you press, the, the it kind of grows in terms of size and gives you the feedback and what's going on. So it's kind of a good talk. Interesting stuff. AK? Yeah, that's good. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. So, Aaron, if people want to find you on the intro apps, where would they look? Go to my new website, aaron.vay.ca, or go to Twitter, at Aaron Vay. Cool. Is it new, or you just moved it? Well, I moved it, but it looks different. <laughs> oh, 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 it's got a new, oh, new, new looking... New, new template. And it's, and it's no longer WordPress. Cool. All right. That's right. Jaime, if people want to find you on the interwebs, where would they look? Also on Twitter as at Dev of the Hair. And Mark, if people want to send you an email or write you a cursive letter, uh, cursive letter. Yeah, you can send me an email at markr at smapsoft dot com, uh, or you know, Morse code works as well. <laughs> Smoke signals. Oh, so listen, um, we talked a little bit last week about Greg's visit to you. So, what was your perspective on Greg's visit to San Jose? Sitting down with Doctor Rubin, he says you didn't make him do whiteboarding, which was which was a relief. Uh, no. Why would I do that? <laughs> did, did the Greg it wasn't that you an interview. met? I, I, I don't understand. The, I, I don't understand the, the question. The Greg that you met was that the yep. Greg you had in your mind? Oh, prior pretty much. To into yeah. Okay. Pretty much. Yeah. I, I, I'm. I'm. I'm uh, inferring that the opposite wasn't true. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, no, if you listened to the show last week, we, uh, yeah. we, we did ask him about it. And uh, so Aaron, Aaron said, what's Mark like in person? And he says, he's really talkative, surprisingly talkative, right? Oh. So, <laughs> so that's why I asked you about semiconductors today. I see. Um, all right. So my name is Simitra. I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I am T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on the Twitter machine. And I guess that's it. We'll see you again next week-ish. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Goodbye. Bye. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There, you can find a summary and show notes for each episode. We list links to the items that we talk about on the show, as well as links to the apps on the App Store. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment on the website. And if you can, please write a review on iTunes. If you're listening on Overcast, go ahead and press the recommend button. It really helps others find out about the show. You can also follow us on Twitter. Once again, the podcast Twitter account is at mtjc underscore podcast. If you'd like to support us, you can pledge any amount on patreon.com slash mtjc. Thanks again for listening. I don't know if you saw this, Aaron. There's, a, there's an article in the... Um, it's a really interesting article in Toronto Star about some guys come up with an algorithm to figure out how the plausibility of conspiracy theories, right? And the one thing he says, like, if NASA was tried to, had to fake the moon landing in 1969, about 400,000 people would have had to work together to keep that a secret. Right. And so, like, from his little right. algorithm thingy, it's like the po- probability of keeping that a secret or, or like, l- in- infinitesimally small or large, I guess. Yeah, the the mean the mean lifetime of secrecy for that would be about eight seconds, I think. Yeah, I think he said four four years would sort of be a sort of lifetime. Yeah, uh, something like that. that. I don't um, think it would. I don't think it would last that. Oh my goodness! Big day today, huh? I guess uh, if you're not on Twitter, you might not realize how big a day it is. You saw the oh, apple. What? letter right yeah oh yeah that's that's a big regardless of twitter that's a that was a big news item it it lit up my twitter all day just steady all day long everything everybody was talking about it in fact i can't think of a an issue that is so captured attention on my twitter stream as as this one has i guess twitter wasn't that big when thoughts on flash came out that was like 2009 or something right the only thing I can think of that's really comparable. Do you know what I'm talking about? Steve Jobs, Thoughts on Flash. That was published April 2010. Do you remember this? Is it just me? Am I in a room I, all by I, myself? You remember talking, him talking about... Um, sorry, I'm coming back. You were talking about him talk, Steve Jobs on Flash? Yeah. About how horrible it was and... Yeah, yeah. Why they wouldn't no, support actually, it? I just stuff. brought it up from Apple's website here. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to know when it was published, and it was 2010. Mm-hmm. So... Um, I'm just trying to think of the last Apple missive that caused as much ruckus as this one has. Well, Steve Jobs, I, I posted uh, an article from Mashable there that, um, yeah, so so they have a clip of Steve Jobs talking to uh, Walt Mossberg um, in one of his last interviews about privacy. And then there was also, and then there's Tim Cook talking about privacy on the, um, what's that guy, the late night guy. 
I'm going to go with Charlie Rose. Charlie Rose, thank you very much. Yeah, and I, I listened to those two bits, right? So, so Jaime, how do you say Java? What is he called? Uh, I, well, there's no, there's no Y in Java. Um, there's only Java. Where, where, do you, where do you get the Y from? Is it? Is I, it I Java hear it coming from Java? you guys. Java. J Y A V A. Say it again, Tim. Java. JavaScript. Java. Yeah, that's how I say it too. Java. No, it was. It was I said Java. So uh, Tammy said it was Java, and she was quite incensed about it. Oh yes, incredibly so. Wait, you mean what? What? What does she say is wrong? The, the uh, stress Java. of the syllable, or yeah, Java. I think a, a versus a, Java. 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 Yeah, Java. 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 Yeah, she's from oh. Joy. She's from Joyzy, Joyzy. Yeah, it's, so it's another East Coast, West Coast. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of them. I've, I've lived on both coasts, and it's it's real. Wow. So how do you say it? All right, guys, I'm going to check it. Okay, bye, 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 bye. Bye, care, guys. Um, so I say. So Jaime, you you say it sort of like I do, si- I think. Yeah, yeah, and I was thinking about. Uh, I don't say silicon. I say silicon. Oh, Silicon Valley. Oh, you say silicon, really? Silicon. Yeah, con as, as, as the thing, not silicon. Yeah. So, like, so him, I guess, like the yeah. So when I lived in Boston, it was definitely silicon, and but out here in Silicon Valley, <laughs> it's it's definitely silicon. Really, silicon. Yep, it's Silicon Valley. It's not Silicon Valley. If you say Silicon Valley, you immediately stick out like really a tourist. No yep. wonder I can't get don't, a job at Apple. Don't ever say Silicon Valley. Yeah, yeah. I, well, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that, but <laughs> but it doesn't.